So Luke 22, 66. So we're starting in 66 and going through 23. And so my question for you is, what is the most painful thing you have ever experienced? So mine, obviously, I have kids, so that's an easy one. However, I would say something that else that I did was I was in a CrossFit competition. And it's called CrossFit. And so I was in this competition, and I said I will do anything one time. So I competed in this competition. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And the next day, for like three days, I could not walk. Like, it, I couldn't get up. All I wanted to do was just, like, not move. Like, I feel like my fingertips even hurt because it was, I used every muscle in my body. Now, that's physical pain, but emotional pain, I would say, I had to think about this. And one thing that was really, really hard for me was when I was 16 and um, my best friend was killed in a car accident. So emotionally, I remember just my heart aching and being broken from this pain. And so we're going to talk a lot about the pain that Jesus endured for us. So last week in small groups, you discussed a whole array of things in Luke 22. It was Judas was going to betray Jesus. They prepared for the Passover meal. Um, Jesus predicts that Peter's going to deny him, and he's like, yeah, right. The disciples argue I mean, these are disciples. They're arguing about who's the greatest. So then Jesus brings them to the garden and says, I'm going to go pray. You better pray too. He comes back twice and they're sleeping. Like, these are the disciples. They're following Jesus. Then Peter does deny Jesus like Jesus said he did. And people start mocking Jesus. That is where you left off last time. That is one crazy night, let me tell you. So Luke 22, 66. When day came... After all these things have happened, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led Jesus away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of God shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say, that I am. Jesus is sassy. I like it. Then he said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it from ourselves from our own lips. The other gospels go more into details about the, the scandalous, like how to trip Jesus up and their ploy. Well, they couldn't figure it out. So they resorted to this illegal ploy. If they could somehow trick Jesus into bearing witness against himself, they would have him. So, you know, like when you see shows and they're like, I plead the fifth, there was that law too. And so back then, you, that law prevented accusers from forcing someone to say I'm guilty to themselves or incriminating themselves. So their ploy was to get him to say he is the Messiah, he is the son of God, so that that would be called blasphemy, which means that is punishable by death. So that was their whole ploy. So they take this question to Jesus, they twist his answer, and they frame charges against him. This is a very familiar tactic to anyone that can have a quick mind, a ready tongue, and a flexible conscience. 
chapter 23. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered them, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt for this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout, uh, throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. So they have three charges against him. Stirring up unrest and rebellion. Excuse me? Maybe they did not like what he said, but he was not stirring people up to be violent in any way. Number two, opposing taxation by Rome. We talked about a few weeks ago when they tried to trip him up and he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. So they're twisting what he has said. Number three, he's claiming to be king. Pilate sees that the people are not taking his answer of not guilty and he finds a back door. So what he does is he sends Verse six, when Pilate heard that he asked whether the man was a Galilean, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who himself in, was in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothes, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. First of all, Pilate says, okay, these people are getting rowdy and they don't believe my not guilty. Hey, I'll send him to this guy. This guy can deal with Jesus. Herod looks at him and is glad to see him. He knew all about Jesus. You want to know why? Because he was one of the people that put John the Baptist to death. So he knew about him. He was hoping he would see him do wonders, but he did not. Jesus did not answer. Jesus would not talk to, him, to Herod, and there was commentators saying that he was probably flattered that Pilate actually consulted him. And so they bring Jesus before him and they start mocking him. They put clothes, on, nice robes on him. And he says, mm, actually, go back to Pilate. Verse 12, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Throughout the book of Luke, I feel like all we've talked about is how Jesus' kingdom is upside down. And throughout Luke, he is trying to give us a glimpse of God's kingdom being flipped and how this world will be a new place because of what Jesus has done. So two shady government officials who are enemies come together to become friends. Think how we too could be reconciled with people in our lives with the shadow of the cross like these two individuals. To reconcile means to restore friendly relations between, to coexist in harmony. Is there someone in your life you have friction with? Do you believe that the two of you, with the help of Jesus, could be reconciled together? 
Is God asking you to be reconciled with someone you have friction with? Luke is showing us this little thread of hope of what Jesus' work on the cross is going to do. Reconciliation with others and reconciliation with God. Verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any charges. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. 18, but they all cried out, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who has been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them one more time, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but delivered Jesus to their will. The whole goal of Luke has been last week and this week, to show us what does it mean when we say that Jesus has died for the sins of the whole world. The disciples are falling asleep. Peter backstabs his friend Jesus. The guards are bullying. The court is not giving justice. These are supposedly the most holy people, and they're yelling, crucify Jesus. All of these things put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't a theological transaction that was happening. It was humanity, real sin, a reflection of all of our things and all of their bad decisions, and they basically spit in God's face and put him on that cross. And even though this happened thousands of years ago, you guys, it's my sin of anger and jealousy, my talking behind a friend's back, my arrogance thinking I know better than God, my sins put Jesus on the cross. They did so many scandalous things to Jesus, but so do I, and so do you, and so do we. We've all done wrong. We've all sinned against God. It's really easy for us to look back and go, what was Peter thinking? But we are no different. We all, unfortunately, have one big thing in common, and that is a thing called sin. Luke is leading our eyes to the foot of the cross to not just feel sorrow and pity for a man who's dead, but shame. Shame means a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by consciousness, so you know you've done wrong, or foolish behavior. A painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. We all have this weight. We all know we do wrong. 
The things we do are heavy. They are, and they're horrible, and we are not good humans. But then I look at what Jesus did with Barabbas, and I have hope. And I have this idea that here is Barabbas, a criminal who has murdered people. He has gotten people. They say that he has um, been violent, and he has gotten riots and upheavals. He stirred up people to be violent. And here is Jesus, who the whole time has stood for peace. The things that Jesus is being accused of, this man over here has done. Not this man. And so, when Pilate gives the choice, he has a choice. Either all those people out there are going to be real unhappy with him, or he lets this man go knowing that he's done all the bad things, or this man go and he is free. He has done nothing. And what does he choose? To put Jesus to death. We're used to Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors. We've seen that all through Luke. But now he is going to die for something he did not do. He takes his place. And if he takes his Barabbas' place, guess what, you guys? He takes our place. So all the things that we are holding on to and we are weighing down because we made stupid decisions, we don't have to. We are free as Barabbas is. That's what the gospel is about. He lives a perfect life, takes our place so we don't have the penalty. And so the plot has been set into motion. The story continues in verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. So this man named Simon, and honestly, I'm gonna be real honest, I knew a man carried the cross for Jesus, but I didn't know much about him. Simon, we've talked about people come to Jerusalem because they're having a pilgrimage. They want to come to the temple and do their thing, and it was just Passover. So this man from northern Africa, he comes, and he um, is just walking in the city. He's not the ones yelling, crucify him, but they say, here you go, carry this. And so he carries Jesus' cross, and it doesn't say why Jesus couldn't carry the cross, but I think we all know. He had a long 24 hours, and they, he was probably beaten. He had a, thro- a thorn of crowns on. Th- crown of thorns, there you go. <laughs> and Simon becomes the model for all of us, who in devotion and holiness and service and love is treading behind Jesus as he is going to death. He is walking a road of humility and pain to follow him. What are the things in our lives that Jesus is asking us to do that we don't want to do because it's hard? Luke actually two other times in records that Jesus has told people, carry your cross daily. Take up your cross. Follow me daily. And so I'm asking, and I've reflected on myself, what are the hard things that Jesus is asking me to do daily? Sometimes it's to love people in my lives that are really, really hard. They're difficult people. Or to be patient with a really annoying person in your class who you just want to be like, shut up, but you don't. Or a boss who's not easy to work for. I mean, I could stand here all day and we are all confronted with things every, almost moment by moment, of how am I going to be? What is Jesus asking us to do? 
or me to do. We are to carry our cross daily, and are you willing to do that and follow him? The story continues with people mocking him. They nail him to this cross with two other criminals. The soldiers are telling Jesus to save yourself. They are actually gambling. They take the robes off him, what he was wearing, and they are casting lots. They're gambling to get a piece of his clothing. If he, they're going to kill him, and they think he's a criminal. Why do they want his clothing? Jesus, hanging on the cross, prays in verse 34 and says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus is dying, and he's praying for these people. Lord, forgive them. He is praying for us to, for us to be forgiven. He is beaten and bloody and praying for us. He then goes on to paint this scene in my head that I've been thinking about daily now. There are two criminals. Jesus is here, and there's a criminal here, and there's a criminal here. And they're all on crosses. And this one says, you say you're the king, free yourself. And this one hears what the other one has said and says, I want to get his words right. I don't want to paraphrase. He says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We are getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing. And he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. The scene is as hopeful as it gets. And you're like, I mean, I don't get it. In this moment of faith, all th this man has done nothing. He has done all the bad things. And he has said, I believe you are who you say you are, Jesus. And I, I, I have faith. I believe in you. And Jesus says, you're in. That's all. It, that's, he didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to pray every day. He didn't have to do anything. He is in because of his belief. We are in because of our belief. When we truly believe Jesus is who he, say, who he says he is, we are in. There's nothing else you have to do. And so my question for you this evening is, do you believe who he is, who he says he is? Is he truly the savior of the world? And do you believe that? And have you told him that? We know how the story ends. Jesus breathes his last breath and he's put into a tomb. And so as I think about the most painful thing I've ever experienced, I know it has nothing compared to this, nothing. However, my mind has a hard time wrapping my head around and envisioning what it was really like. And we've heard the stories, and I think sometimes we actually downplay them. And so I wanted to end with this visual for you to see. And so I'm asking you to, in a minute, listen to the words of the song with the pictures you see and think about what Jesus has done for you and all of humanity so that you can have hope. Can you kill the lights? Gunnar, could you do that and play it, Nick? And then you can, after this, head to your small groups.